Twins we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the February 21st edition of the sunny side of sports. Ghanaian footballer Christian Achu is being remembered for his generosity off the pitch with one friend describing him as an angel on earth. Achu's body was discovered under the ruins of a 12-story building that crumbled from a devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Kent Mensah filed this report from Accra, Ghana. The 31-year-old Achu was discovered dead on Saturday following the 7.8 magnitude quake that hit southern Turkey and Syria on February 6, killing more than 46,000 people in both countries. It was a solemn moment Sunday evening as the Turkish Airlines carrying the body of the former Premier League footballer touched down at the Kotoka International Airport. To the sound of a lone trumpet, six military pallbearers hoisted the casket onto the tarmac, where a sizable crowd of family members, football lovers, diplomats and state officials watched with sadness and tears. Ghana's Vice President Mahmoud Baumia led the government delegation. We anxiously and nervously prayed that our brother Christian Achu would be found alive. He prayed and prayed. But alas, when he was found, he was no more. We will sorely miss him. It is a painful loss, and I would like to say that the state will be fully involved with the family in providing him a befitting burial. After a brief religious ceremony to pray for the soul of the former Chelsea player, the body was moved for preservation at a military hospital morgue in the capital, Accra. The Ghanaian winger spent four seasons at Chelsea, mostly out on loan before a permanent transfer to Newcastle in 2017. He also played for various European clubs including LC Porto, Everton and Bournemouth. Over the weekend, Premier League clubs observed minutes of silence in honour of Achu. Chelsea issued a statement saying, it is with enormous sadness that Chelsea Football Club received the news that Christian Achu is confirmed as one of the many victims of the dreadful earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Newcastle also described him as a talented player and a special person, adding that he will always be fondly remembered by our players, staff and supporters. Of the pitch, Achu was known for his generosity, giving scholarships to poor school children back in Ghana and also paying fines for prisoners to gain their freedom. Abdul Hai Yati, the owner of Cheetah FC in Ghana, first discovered Achu and facilitated his maiden trip to Portugal for trials. He said Achu's life, although short, was well lived. Christian don't like seeing people unhappy. I would describe Christian as uh, an angel on earth. The way he does his things, sometimes you don't believe it. Um, I think we need to remember Christian for his generosity, how humble he is how determined he is, but it's sad in my heart that 
his last flight back to Ghana was the one that I have to come in and receive his body. But I think I'm very proud of him. Atu played 65 games at the national level for Ghana's national team, the Black Stars, and won player of the tournament at the 2015 Africa Cup of Nations in Equatorial Guinea, where Ghana lost the final to Ivory Coast on penalties. Atu is survived by his wife, Marie-Claire Rupio, and three children. Kent Mensah, for VOA News, Accra, Ghana. Thanks, Kent. For more on the life and legacy of Christian Achu, my VOA colleague Jackson Vunganyi spoke with Ghanaian sports journalist Victor Achu Tamaklo. Well, his extended family has always been in Accra. They are um, the Nenechasam family, the family houses in Ogbojo, in Accra here, as I indicated. But his nuclear family, his partner and his children, are still based in Newcastle. And so over the weekend, they were invited by the Premier League club to witness the Premier League game between Liverpool and Newcastle United as the club paid their tribute to the former player. Christian Atu was part of the Newcastle team that got relegated, and he was central in the team securing um, Premier League status once again. And so uh, that's the situation as far as his family is concerned. He's been in Turkey since September, um, in the last 72 hours, we've had information that he was actually contemplating moving on from the club, and he had told some um, people with relative clout who could facilitate any such move away from um, Hatay Sport uh, with a view to that. And uh, it is unfortunate that his last act at the club was the goal that he scored for them. And um, we're also learning that he had booked a flight to fly to the UK to go and visit his family and had to cancel that flight at moments after scoring that goal uh, for Hatay Sport in their last league game uh, since that time. So it's a very unfortunate situation. What kind of tributes have there been by his uh, fellow players, uh, whether it's former teammates or other players in, in Ghana and outside of Ghana? Well, back home, there's been it's been varied. So the Ghana Premier League, the country's top flight football competition observed a minute of silence across the nine league centers where matches were played this weekend. Um, the very first academy that he played for, that is the West Africa Football Academy uh, today, they are based in Gumuafete in the central region. They decided and have suspended all club operations and even training sessions. So all levels of the academy are the West Africa Football Academy um, and have ceased operations. They have indicated that out of respect to him and as a means of paying tribute to him, they are going to um, put operations on hold, training and everything has stopped since today, and they will communicate when they will resume hostilities, even though there are league matches that they ought to be playing in the lower-tier competition. Mm. So that's one side of it. As far as his teammates are concerned, we saw Kudus Mohamed, who scored a free kick for Ajax Amsterdam yesterday, dedicate his goal to him. Bernard Tekvete, his uh, former teammate at the Black Stars also, uh, who plays in Bulgaria these days, also um, wore a shirt under his jersey with the inscription RIP Christiana 2. Um, Jordan Ayu, who plays in the Premier League for Crystal Palace, also um, had a similar shirt with a similar inscription after the game. All of them ostensibly paying tribute to a former teammate. What kind of legacy has uh, Christian Atsu left on Ghanaian uh, soccer, but also on Ghanaian society. Why 
is he being remembered this way by Ghanaians? It's because he touched many lives beyond the football pitch. And um, so there is the Arms Around the Child Charity Foundation who he got into contact with, I believe, some five years ago. And since then, he has been working some magic with them as far as transforming lives and providing education. So um, in 2018, he teamed up with the Arms Around the Child Foundation and they raised, they organized a special fundraising event at the Hilton Hotel in Gateshead, Newcastle, to begin a project of building a school. Of course, eventually, he had to take it upon himself. And uh, in 2020, he, start, he single-handedly started the project of building a school for uh, children in the Senyabriku area. Senyabriku is a district in, uh, is a suburb in the Eutu Senyabriku district in the central region of Ghana. And he is building a school there. He's also building an apartment that will serve as a hostel for the students and staff of the school. So that's the level of um, involvement and how much he gave back to the society. As far as his prisons project is concerned, you know, in Ghana, there is no custodial law. And so you can have very petty offenses being uh, sending people to prison. And that is where perhaps the, the biggest of his influence has been felt because he's been working with an organization in Ghana called the Crime Check. And what they have done is that since 2019, they've been paying off the fines for people who have been jailed because they could not pay fines as low as $100, as low as $50. So uh, the first of those was in 2008 when he paid, when he donated 7,000 pounds to cover uh, the expenses or to pay for the fines of a number of people who have been jailed. Um, I'm sure you, go, if you go online, you will read about a story of a 62-year-old woman and her daughter who were in prison for stealing corn. And it was Christian Atu who had to pay the fine for them to get out of prison. So there's currently a bill before Parliament where he's working uh, to try and uh, rework and look at the justice system and see if they can introduce a custodial law uh, that will make it not possible for these petty offences uh, to send people to prison. That's Victor Achutamaklo, a Ghanaian sports journalist, and Victor spoke with VOA's Jackson Vunganyi from Accra, Ghana. My name is Benjamin Azumati, a member of the Quartet team that won gold for Ghana in the Afghan Games that happened in Morocco, Rabat. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on the Voice of America. Nigerian sprinter Favor Ophili recently set an African 200 meters indoor record of 22.36 seconds at a meet here in the United States. The 20-year-old Ophili is a student athlete at Louisiana State University, more commonly called LSU here in the USA. For reaction to her African indoor record, Iron Mike Mbonye spoke with the athletics coach who discovered Ophelia when she was 11 years old, Prince Chet Ike. We're very grateful uh, to God because God made it possible. And uh, we were filled with, uh, you know, appreciation to what God has done for, for her. Because being uh, an African uh, record holder in 200 meters is not an easy thing. So we, we really appreciate what God has done for her. How did this journey of uh, favor begin? How was she discovered by you and your wife? I was in camp in Port Harcourt. 
for the youth games that is on the 17th, preparing to go to Ukraine. And then my wife called me that there was going to be an inter-house sport, uh, sport in a Baptist girls' secondary school in Abo. I said, okay, uh, she could go and um, hunt for talents. And she went. So when she got there, there were three in number that runs uh, 100 meters. But the other two never wanted to come to, to her. Only one, which of course was Fever. From there, she told the principal that uh, Fever is going to be a good runner. Thereon, she, you know, she started coming for training. And that was it. And what was uh, Fever's age then? And she was between 11 and 12, yes. Between 11 and 12. And how did uh, she climb to the level she is now, as in going to the U.S. and becoming an international star? How did it happen? We contributed, that is my wife and I, because at a point, she had to come and live with us as a baby. And uh, though the, the dad made it difficult for us initially, but the, the mom was supportive, even the principal of the school she was, you know, attending. So, my wife and I took it upon ourselves to see that uh, for what she is doing now, we, we were able to come together to, you know, help her grow, both in training and uh, every other area. So, but we, we will not give the credit to ourselves alone, because when she gained admission, the dad wanted her to go to University of Patakot compulsorily. So I called the coach, which is uh, Coach George in Port Harcourt, and uh, told him that my one of my athletes will be coming to the university because she has gained admission into the, the university. I said, okay, that uh, she is welcomed, that uh, he will see what he can do to help out. So I said, okay. And that is how she went there the favor feeling you know very well what are her prospects she's age is still on her side what are her prospects in future international events i'm talking about the all african games i'm also referring to the uh, to next year's olympic games that will take place in paris france the sky is her stepping stone she has not even done a quarter of what god has given to her so definitely by the grace of god she is going to surprise the world. And that is what I've always told her. That she should depend on God, anything she is doing, and be straightforward. So with all of this, I know she is going to be the one of the best in the coming Olympic game, or maybe all Africa games, whatever. That's athletics coach Prince Chet Ike. And he spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Asaba, Nigeria. The sunny side of sports remembers Greg Foster, a three-time world champion in the men's 110 meters hurdles, who died at the age of 64. Foster also won an Olympic silver medal at the 1984 Los Angeles Games recapping his world championship performances 
Foster won gold in 1983 in Helsinki, in 1987 in Rome, and in 1991 in Tokyo. He's the only athlete in the history of the World Athletics Championships to win three consecutive 110 meters hurdles. USA Track and Field described Greg Foster as a legend in track and field. Hello, this is Heidi Adams, host of Straight Talk Africa. Join me to explore what is now and what is next for African society, culture and politics. We'll go behind the headlines to analyze the news and emerging trends shaping Africa today. Straight Talk Africa, every Wednesday at 18.30 UTC. Sporty greetings, everyone. This is Ambassador Mary Onyal, Olympic medalist, five-time African champion in the sprint events. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. In auto racing, South Africa's scenic city of Cape Town will host the continent's first-ever Formula E championship for electric racing cars on February 25th. The vehicles are powered by batteries charged by generators run on biofuel, making the E-Pre an event driven completely by clean energy. And auto racing experts are predicting the Cape Town E-Pre will help the sport take a giant leap forward in Africa. Darren Taylor tells us more. These electric-powered Formula E racing cars sound very different to their Formula One counterparts, although they look identical. The E-cars, though, are a bit slower, reaching top speeds of 320 kilometers per hour. Their Formula One cousins can go almost 400 kilometers per hour. Formula E made its debut only eight years ago, with organizers focused on the electrification of the automobile industry. They introduced hybrid and electric systems that would reduce carbon dioxide emissions. Traditional Formula One cars have internal combustion engines powered by high-octane fossil fuels that pollute the atmosphere. South African businessman and motorsport enthusiast Ian Banner has been fighting to bring an E-Prix to Cape Town since he saw the very first Formula E race at the Beijing Olympic Green Circuit in September 2014. Well, just imagine this. You are competing with the world. There's many, many cities in the world that are looking to put this on. It's an expensive endeavor. You need a street circuit that's got to be prepared. We have the city of Cape Town who very graciously believed in us and have built the track. You've got all sorts of capex required around barriers and fences and tech pro infrastructure. That's before you've even started getting towards the race. Banner had to bring all 11 Formula E teams, including those of Porsche, Maserati and Nissan, to Cape Town to do inspections and to green light the proposed track. It's a big, big lift. We are on the tip of Africa, but I've always believed we can punch above our weight. And here we are having successfully secured it. 
you know, it's a great spectacle. And we've tried to make it even greater by bringing purpose and a cause that will result in legacy in our country under the Go Green Africa banner. And it'll be a showpiece that people will love to come and see and experience, showcasing the incredible power of these Formula E vehicles on a racetrack that I believe will be a top three on the global calendar. Go Green Africa is a private initiative supported by some of the continent's biggest corporates to educate people about the need to switch to sustainable energy sources and to move away from harmful fossil fuels. And there's a 10-day festival ahead of the race, an electric vehicle road trip for 10 days, which is going to bring a highlight to e-mobility. We have a festival called Electric that will happen adjacent to the racetrack for two days showcasing all things E from bicycles and scooters and one-wheelers to cars, OEMs, buses, taxis, etc., charging solutions. Banner explains the race tracks constructed around the iconic Cape Town Stadium near the ocean and at the foot of Table Mountain. It's 2.88 kilometers in length. I've been over it many times recently and it showcases the beauty of the mother city, which in turn showcases Africa and South Africa in a beautiful way to the world. Banner can't wait for the e-engines to start in Cape Town on the 25th of February. And remember, we're not doing this for one year. We're doing this for the next 10, I think, 20 or 30 years. This needs to be a permanent feature. We need to bring people back into South Africa travel-wise after COVID. They need to come and experience this beautiful country. We have so much to offer by the way of hospitality and restaurants and and the like, the wine farms, the ocean, the mountains. So it's a global destination. It's an international destination that people would love to come and be part of. And this is just another of those exciting properties that's going to help. He says he'd love to win E-Prix races for other major African cities, but he acknowledges adequate infrastructure and the stringent requirements of motorsports governing body, the FIA, are major challenges. For now, he says, he'll concentrate on winning African fans for Formula E and in so doing, winning converts to alternative energy sources. For the sunny side of sports, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Thanks, Darren. This is the voice of America. Washington, D.C. Around the clock, the Voice of America keeps you in touch with the latest news. Tune in at the top of every hour, every day of the week. For the five-minute VOA newscast. We bring you reports from our correspondents and interviews with newsmakers from around the globe. Give us five minutes and we'll give you the world. VOA, your trusted source for news and information. In European club football, Liverpool will host reigning title holder Real Madrid on Tuesday evening in a first leg round of 16 UEFA Champions League match. And VOA's Gwen Uten has a preview for us. Sporty greetings, Gwen! Sporty greetings, Sonny. Last season, Liverpool suffered their share of disappointing misses. They missed sealing an unprecedented quadruple. They missed clinching the Premier League title by a single point. And they missed lifting the Champions League trophy with a narrow 1-0 defeat 
to Real Madrid. Tuesday will be a repeat meeting of that Champions League final. And on the eve of the match, Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp admitted he could only bring himself to rewatch last season's final once. And he said reliving the experience was torture. So we played this final in Paris and I didn't watch it back since then until this weekend. So the thing I realized immediately, now I know why I didn't watch it back. So, but I had to have a proper torture um, because we played a good game and we could have won the game and that's a decisive goal. We could because we didn't. They scored a decisive goal, we didn't. And that was the reason. Um, You could see in this game how experienced uh, Madrid is. A disappointing start to the current campaign have found Liverpool out of two domestic cups and in eighth place in Premier League standings. However, back-to-back league victories over Everton and Newcastle United seem to have put the Reds back on track just in time to face Real Madrid. And Jurgen Klopp says his side should have no fear going against the record 14-time European champions. It will be a top football game and I'm, I'm really happy that we can play it now um, like four weeks ago it would have been different but life is all about timing and maybe we found back our feet right in time um, for this game even when I would have expected us to be ourselves as well even if we wouldn't have won the last two games because it's a different competition and you have to use this opportunity but so now we have these two results and hopefully we can build on that but we need to we need to play a super game We need to play two super games, to be honest, um, to get through. But I have no problem with that, because if you don't play your best, you don't have a chance. Real Madrid doesn't have to play their best and still have a chance. (laughs) And that's that's the difference. And um, that's uh, pretty special. But I can't wait. Liverpool have been winless in six meetings against Real Madrid since 2014. Five of those games ended in defeat, with two losses in the 2018 and 2022 Champions League finals. But Klopp believes past disappointments can fuel his side for Tuesday's match with the help of fans inside Anfield Stadium. For tomorrow night, whatever we would have done at the weekend, I would have expected us to to, to fight with all we have because this is a you always work so hard for qualifying for the Champions League so I really think you have to cherish these moments where you just think okay that's Liverpool Real Madrid that's is if you if you, we all dreamt of that we all did and um, that will never change that it will be a special game and so um, yeah I expect Anfield on their toes to be honest I really Happy for the people that they saw us in a better shape the last two games, that they have a bit more things to, 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 to look forward to. And, yeah, let's go together again. Klopp added that there's a chance Darwin Nunez could be fit to play on Tuesday. The Uruguayan striker suffered a shoulder strain in last weekend's match against Newcastle. However, Thiago Alcantara, Calvin Ramsey and Luis Diaz will be sidelined all due to injury. Real Madrid are currently second in La Liga standings, eight points behind leaders Barcelona. Madrid are looking to clinch the Champions League title, a record-extending 
winning 15th time. But ahead of Tuesday's match, head coach Carlo Ancelotti was quick to dismiss that his side's recent dominance over Liverpool will predict their upcoming clash. Siempre tú puedes sacar algo bueno. Ancelotti says this is a completely different fixture because there's two matches. We're very focused on that. We realize that it's across two legs and that we need to play well for a hundred and however many minutes. Madrid's lineup on Tuesday will feature Karim Benzema, who is back with the team following a series of injury setbacks this season. However, midfielders Tony Cruz and Aurelian Tumani have reportedly not made the trip as they both continue recovering from illness. Both Real Madrid and Liverpool hope to secure a first-leg advantage to take with them to Madrid for their return-leg match on March 15th. And that is all for me, Sonny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uten. And that wraps up the February 21st edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I get it. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. And that's the sunny side of sports.